Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter 18. After about two and a half hours of waiting, I was told that the meeting was about to start. On the walk over, some nervous guy in a uniform planted himself at my elbow and instructed me not to speak unless spoken to and, for God's sake, stick to the topic at hand, whatever it happened to be. I should keep my answer short and to the point, and most of all, if instructed to stop talking or leave the room, I was to do so immediately. We had quite a walk, actually, and the guy dropped off after a bit to see to some other business. We could have used a roller car or a slide walk, both of which I saw in various companionways branching off, but my escort didn't seem to mind it at all. We went through two separate security doors, both with armed guards at attention. I was sweaty and out of breath by the time we stopped outside a set of double doors. A guard called to someone within and the doors parted before me. The room was not as big as all this build-up had implied it would be. There was a rounded table in the center which took up just about all the available space. That made it awkward to walk around the thing with all the people sitting there. The table had small tri-D hollows before each seat, as well as a larger one hovering over the center as a general display. A bunch of senior fleet officers were sitting more or less on one side, while the recently arrived Montero reps were clustered on the other. Of these folks, two were likely from admin, based on their self-important bearings and fine suits. There were also several others, some in team uniforms, some in civvy clothing of a less impressive cut, and all with hand comps. I took them to be engineers. I'd never seen a single person in the entire room before. Four additional soldiers from Corporate Security Space Branch stood, one in each corner of the room, to act as bodyguards. Under the general rubric of diplomatic immunity, they were allowed to carry sidearms openly, even on a foreign nation's warship, putting everybody on the Ain side just that little bit off their game. No Emeras Basta, no Ania Wi'iloni. Apparently neither UH nor Mirsham were invited to this little gathering. There were only two seats open at the table, one on the fleet side, between a man and a woman, both of captain rank, and the other on the corporate side. I took the latter without prompting. 
Barney and I told the station security investigators that we must have been mugged, and that was the truth as far as it went. Indeed, anything of value was missing when we were brought round by the medicos an hour or so later. Barney was especially heartbroken about his gym bag. He only got one practice in with the new basket, after all, and it had taken six weeks to arrive. A silver bracelet he always wore was gone now, too. It had been his dad's. That was irreplaceable. The only thing taken from me had been my wrist comp. It should have been pingable from anywhere on the station, but whoever had it now knew about that trick and had disabled tracking. The perpetrator somehow managed to get station sensors in the immediate area to hiccup during the attack, so there was no record of anything from those moments, and I even confirmed this later with John and Stina. To their credit, the station security folks didn't buy the mugging angle at all, and Barney wasn't so dim to think it likely either. It's what he told everybody who asked, though, including me. Stasek said that a full investigation would follow, including more interviews. So, after getting the nod from the emergency med responders, they cleared us to go home. Barney did exactly that, looking sad, and I told him I'd catch up. Over at an open-air market on Centerline Avenue, I bought a comm ring much like Dieter's. Through the public registry, I placed a call on it to Brandon, because it was a cheap thing I'd just purchased from the company store, all I told him over it was that I needed to talk in person. He had puzzlement in his voice, but agreed. I suggested we meet up at the spec sign office, assuming it would be safe to talk there. He counter-suggested my favorite little coffee kiosk, implying that it wouldn't be. We met about a half hour after the call. It was late, and he had changed out of his business suit. I got a frothy cup of something non-decaffeinated, while the seven got a bright yellow frappa kappa something or other. We sat at one of the little wireframe tables, out of earshot of the counter help. Brandon looked mighty worried when I told him about the attack, even after my assurance that there was no data breach. By contrast, the responding Stasek officers had been relieved when I told them my rig was empty. The fact that I worked for R&D had put them into an immediate sweat. I'm concerned about your safety, he whispered, glancing over his shoulder. You look like you're concerned about yours, I commented. He turned back. His eyes didn't look eager or professional. They looked frightened. I'm in no physical danger, but look, here it is. Quan has been outed as Specsign. What? When? How? The place is already in an uproar. It came down yesterday. He just acted too much like a spook not to raise flags. Well, that sucks, I observed sourly. Oh, not at all, he countered with the first hint of a smile. He was the one they were supposed to find. I'm your trump card? He just sipped his frap, glancing around. The thing is, even though I fully expected Quan to be caught, Team might look at it differently. Do you mean a spec sign review of some kind? I asked. Why? 
And what's team got to do with it anyway? Team Space Branch will be taking over all security duties on this station. They're going to be disbanding Stasek in any current corporate investigatory units that means Specsign. Us. The others in our little group have already been given their walking papers, and I'm being officially transferred to an office position here on station. And this whole thing was a waste of time, I muttered bitterly. I felt it, too. Hear me out. My reports have only mentioned you as a consultant, not an operative. If team gets suspicious, they'll dig further and maybe burn our investigation. But if they don't, you should be able to continue on. I actually wanted to continue. R&D was a cover job for me. Specsign was a cover job. None of it was real. Yet it was a worthy endeavor anyway. Rooting out what had gone so wrong in R&D or with the field testing process that two people ended up dead. I wanted to do that. Someone had screwed up sending them out after Shady Lady. A person likely still in charge somewhere, ready to screw up again. With Specsign disbanded, I observed, what more can we do? I said, I'm officially transferred. He looked over his shoulder once more, then leaned in. I did the same. When Space Branch first arrived at the jump point, a courier ship from Interstar came with them. It relayed a classified message to me straight from, well, a certain member of the Montero Board of Directors. This is who we work for. Our instructions are to keep investigating this thing, no matter what. The authority involved is admin, not team, and higher up on the company ladder than anyone currently in system. So? So, Specsign will go underground. At least, our part of it. Team is to know nothing about this. All across the station, admin supervisors will be replaced with team officers. There's no one here now we can trust. You have got to be kidding me. I said it much too loudly and with enough exasperation to draw the attention of the coffee jock behind the counter. I gave the young guy a hard face and he looked away. Careful, Seven Urzga hissed. This comes from the top. Are you in or out? This is riding on you, Ejok. If you say no, we're back to square one. And I don't need to remind you that you signed a contract. Not for this, Seven. You should know me well enough by now to understand what pushing me into a corner means. It's a guarantee you'll never get what you want. Call it a character flaw. But if you try to force me into anything, you'll see it in action. Is that a threat? Do I have to be worried about you now? The question made me stop and think. Maybe he did. And if so, he could just put in a bad word with team and I'd be out of research and development. But would that be such a bad thing? No job with Specsign, no job with R&D. It would mean a ticket out. The thought struck me hard like another stun blast. It was the one path through this mess that I'd never considered. Unemployment. As an Ain citizen, I'd be deported 
if I didn't seek another job, and it would be absolutely above board. Completely legit. They'd book me cold passage on a company starliner headed toward the border. They'd make sure I went home. I could give a full report to UH. I could assemble a tidal wave of politicians, bureaucrats, and lawyers to put a spotlight on this project. Shady Lady's crew could come out of hiding, and Mavis could get the help she needed. Mavis, who was unconscious for no known reason. Brandon, look, I whispered after a time. I'm not against the idea of continuing our working relationship, but it will have to be on my terms. R&D is in the midst of a shake-up of its own. The whole station is, he injected, eyes still roaming the mostly empty plaza. Admin, security, maintenance, fabrication, you name it. They're all standing around waiting for the axe to fall. Well, I got the heads up that I'm to be retained after the changeover. In what capacity or to what purpose, I don't know. I don't know how this mugging or whatever it was might impact that position, and I don't know who did it to begin with. Okay, okay, I understand. You're frazzled. You have no idea! Lower your voice, please. I took a breath and then glanced around the plaza like he was doing. The paranoia was infectious. Is there anything else? I asked. He nodded. I passed that weird radio signal you found over to a crypto-specialist. Might be unrelated to our work, but it's definitely a digital stream. They're looking to crack it. Good, I muttered. This probably should be our last face-to-face -face for a while. Agreed. If we need to talk, I'll find a way to reach out. If you need to report something, well, let's be old-fashioned. What are you drinking? Decaf cappuccino, I told him, reading the side of my cup, which had the coffee style and bean variety automatically printed on it by the espresso machine when it was dispensing. Uh, green belt velvet. Okay. If it isn't this exact variety, I'll know it wasn't from you. Have you noticed that accounting office on Starboard Road, big yellow sign? Well, to the left of the entrance is a nook, like a tiny shelf in the bulkhead. I've seen that sign. I haven't noticed any nook. Good. It's a nothing spot. Leave an empty cup, just like this one, when you have any news. Write down whatever it is on a piece of scrap and put it inside. Maintenance might get there before you do and throw it out. Don't worry about that, he assured, then got to his feet. Try to get some rest. You look like crap. I know. I'm good at it. We exchanged grave little nods, which only seemed to crown the silliness of the conversation, and then he was gone. Barney was more upbeat in the morning, though still upset about the loss of his smackball gear. I mentioned the bracelet, but he waved it off. Uh, it was a cheap thing. 
I only wore it because I figured I probably should. My dad was a hard guy to love, to be honest. That made me sad right at the start of the day, mostly because I understood what he meant. I looked up Dieter on the public directory and called him on my new ring. We set up a time to meet at the pub after my work shift. He would have to dash out during lunch, more overtime. I didn't go into details, of course, though I did mention I'd been mugged. He was silent for a moment, seemingly weighing whether this was a put-on, a code phrase that I'd just made up, or, worst of all, the truth. After a moment, he said he had to go and that I'd see him later. I made it to R&D on time. There were new team security people at the entrance, checking off names from a data pad and verifying with an ident scanner. All the installed security systems, including the auto gun, appeared to be offline. I asked about this, but just got a frosty stare for my trouble. New badges were issued, but they only had our names and basic credentials on them. No molecular keys, nothing fancy or high-tech. On each badge, it was plainly stated which exact sections of R&D, including its sub-departments, we were allowed to be in. On mine, it said Main, R&D General, and Weaponry, as well as a sprinkling of various meeting rooms and offices. Main covered this entrance, the outer offices, including Jake Hammerhulses, the Freshers, a galliette for coffee and pastries, and an emergency medico station that had been pointed out on my earlier tour. R&D General referred to the big open space. Weaponry was apparently the new designation for onboard defense. Fabrication, R&D storage, hull design, power gendis, star jump, and the rest of research and development were all out of bounds. Indeed, most of the places open to me just the day before were now off-limits. Team was everywhere inside the department as well, at doorways checking IDs, in offices checking computer systems, and standing around guarding hardware covered in drop cloths that was awaiting removal. Jake was talking to a group of uniformed characters when I came in, and he waved me over. Made the cut, huh? Go see Gaz. She'll fill you in. But Gaza's office was gone. All of the identical little offices over there were gone, replaced by a squad of military technicians and construction bots. Even the walls had been taken down. Team grunts were busy clearing away scrap and rubble and tossing it all into various dumpsters. R&D General was now a bright, fully lighted, scurrying madhouse filled almost entirely with Johnnies too busy to stop and chat. In fact, it seemed like they'd been ordered not to talk to the locals because I got ignored or waved away several times when I made the attempt. Finally, I saw somebody I thought I recognized who wasn't in a uniform, and she pointed toward the back of the cavernous space when I asked Gaza's whereabouts. I found her near a rounded corner trying to set up an extensible partition that kept falling over. She wore a crisp business suit and shiny shoes. I grabbed one corner of the partition before it beamed her and held it steady while she set a few clips in place. 
Thank you, Ejok. What a zoo! I'll say. We're evicted? Temporarily. They're remodeling the Sub-D project leaders' offices and finally putting them all together. Hull design, Gendis, and fabrication managers are getting brought over with the rest of us. They would be seriously pissed off if there was anybody left in those sections from before. Oh, and lest I forget, you have an interview with a Seven Nuellen in... what time is it? Quarter to 800 hours-ish. Okay, in about 15 minutes. She's set up in the big meeting room for now, but she'll have a permanent office over by us when they're finally all built. She's some kind of team liaison officer and has a bunch of people in there today that you need to talk to. They want to go over your background, licenses, and certifications. You can still get culled at this point, so tell them whatever they want to hear. What do they want to hear? I asked, getting nervous. Who knows? She shrugged apologetically, then had me move her desk around while she set up a portable Tri-D unit that turned out to be even more broken than the last one. I pulled a neck muscle and it bothered me for the rest of the shift. CPS-07 Floyeen Newellen was of average height and had a set, well-composed face below short brown hair slicked back in the new efficiency style. Sitting in a semicircle around her were five other people, men and women, also in uniform. She introed herself, but not them, and they didn't volunteer their names. Please have a seat, Mr. DeSantos. I'll get right to it. Team has determined that you may have a particular skill set this project requires. If so, it will save us time in recruiting and vetting someone from outside the system. This interview is to determine if that is truly the case. We'll be asking about your personal, professional, and training histories. If you're comfortable with that, I'll need you to read and sign this privacy waiver right now. She handed over a tablet, and I scrolled through a fairly standard interview permission form, signing it at the bottom. Then they got into it. They were on a tight schedule, I suppose, because they started off by just reading from my resume and asking for confirmations. I was born on such-and-such date in Jarden system over in the Alliance. Yes or no? I had a mother and brother still in Jarden. Yes or no? I was not married, I had no dependents, I had the following licenses and training certificates, and they were all in good order. Yes or no? When they reached the end of my CV, they paused and everyone sat back in their chairs, seeming to take a serious look at the chubby gunner before them for the first time. What can you tell us about your encounter in Real Tool System? What was that? Eight years ago? It was a man of middle years who asked the question. He had silver hair, but a rounded face that made him look younger than he probably was. He had several more bars on his shoulders and patches on his chest than did Seven Newellen. Yeah, nearly. Um, well, I was hired as a defense special on a privately owned gunboat, an old Betchel. Realtool was having what appeared to be a pirate problem. We learned later it was a mercenary ring, working some sort of elaborate fraud. The ship that escaped that encounter, um, Ponty. 
Are you aware that it was never seen or heard from again? I wasn't, no, but it doesn't surprise me, I stated. They were pretty far into Real Tool's gravity shadow when they star-jumped. A bad misjump from there did seem likely. How do you feel about that? Excuse me? How does confirmation that Ponty was likely destroyed make you feel? This topic was no surprise. The real tool incident was in the public record, and I had gone over it several times, and in great detail, when I first came aboard my lag vernier. Heck, I'd had to go over it with every job interview since it happened. This particular tack was new, though. I shifted in my chair and gave the guy a critical eye. He didn't flinch or look uncomfortable in any way. Grateful to be alive, I replied at length. It's nothing I didn't believe from the start, so nothing has changed. Should it? He didn't respond, but wrote something on his tablet. Then he nodded to one of his unnamed colleagues. This was another man, pale and thin, sharp and firm-faced, lots of patches and bars. His voice was high, but not aggressive. Can you expand upon the events in Marga's system over in the Alliance last year? I did. There wasn't much to it though they seemed to think otherwise, even after I was done, because the guy asked a lot of questions concerning the actual use of the ferryboat's weapon systems. He was a gunner himself, I could tell. He asked about power cycles and targeting parameters and why I chose which of each. He seemed keen to understand the exact causes of all the damage to the vessels involved, damage that was studied and certified later on in dry dock. He asked about my intended attacks versus the resulting ones, and he read from public incident reports, itemized construction bills, and private insurance assessments, the issuer of which was apparently a corporate space broker. He made careful note of everything I said. At some point, he simply stopped and gestured to one of his colleagues. She was a dark woman with a bland expression and thin smile, that conveyed neither happiness nor menace. Mr. DeSantos, she began, barely skipping a beat. What can you tell us about your experience in the Choral Prime system five years ago? Oh. Okay. Here it was. The real meat. Since Barlow, I'd never encountered any potential employer who had knowledge that I'd been involved in its troubles. Alliance Fleet had seen to that. The Alliance of Interstellar Nations Intelligence Branch had seen to that. It was classified. Not even United Humanity had any details regarding those events, only that I had been given a green rating by both Fleet and ANIB. The initial job interviews in this station hadn't touched on it at all, even though the people conducting those had been paranoid. But these guys knew, or they knew something which was more than anyone else. It implied they had a very long, finessing reach, and it put them into a whole other category of scary. Nothing, I stated after a time. 
This was my first recalcitrant since the meeting began, and it must have seemed jarring after how forthright I'd just been. It got surprised looks out of them all. The first emotional response this crowd had doled out. I confess it was rather satisfying. You weren't in Choral Prime five years ago? You were never on or in the vicinity of the planet Barlow? I don't know what you're referring to, nor could I talk about it if I did. Legally speaking, you mean? Then you've signed NDAs. With whom? I simply stared at her. The silence went on for a long time. Eventually, they glanced around again, possibly in pursuit of consensus, though that champion-level reserve was back in place. You are refusing to answer this question? The dark woman confirmed, without emphasis. I believe I already have, I returned, giving her my best imitation of her own bearing. She held that meaningless smile, studying me. They were all wizards, because not a single word or glance was thereafter exchanged, yet all at once the group as a whole sat back in their chairs and relaxed a bit. It was very weird. The dark woman then gave a slight nod to Seven Newellen. Thank you, Mr. DeSantos, the Seven said. That will be all. Dieter was working hard on a plate of scobble. The stuff was pretty good hangover food. He must have been enjoying it. So, long story short, I concluded, I'm still in. They like that I'm careful to keep to my signed agreements. What do you mean by that? He asked quietly, wiping gravy from his chin. Then he cursed less quietly when he saw some on his jacket lapel. Doesn't matter. I still have a job. That and being attacked are all my news. Yeah, see, that's the one that worries me. There's another player in the mix. I've been circling around that idea myself, I told him. Layden caught my eye across the pub and gave me her formless smile. Those weird encrypted radio messages. He thought about that and then nodded slightly. How did this party get on to us? No clue. No clue what they're after, either. Something they think I know, anyway. He was silent for a bit, drinking his point beer. The parts got fabbed yesterday, he announced at last. Some supply ships came in with team, I guess. General Store called when the things came off the line, and I had them freighted to the routing office down here. I ran over and took possession a few hours ago on my break. Any problems? They didn't bat an eye. I couldn't keep a grin off my face. We'll be out of here soon, then. Those things take time to install, remember? If I make a mistake, we'll pay for it. What can I do to help? I can't think of a safe way to get them into the closet and up the shaft. Ideas? How big a package are we talking? Altogether? He considered it, 
then pointed to the tabletop and motioned up and down from the floor. That's got to be heavy under 1G, I remarked, feeling suddenly intimidated. Yep, our grinder winch thing won't do. Then we'll need another one, something bigger, and a cart of some sort to get the stuff over there. Agreed. I can't obtain either one from R&D. I'm cut off from most areas now. Well, to pick them up from the routing office, I used a flat car I found over in the water reclamation plant, he told me. The supervisor there asked questions when I brought it back. I made up an explanation, but it's not something I can repeat. Right now, the propagators are covered in a sheet in a dark corner of a certain plumbing supply room. They'll be safe enough for now. Anything like a large, portable winch, though, we'd either have to appropriate, from where, I've no idea, or have fabricated like the parts were. If we go that route, it means even more waiting, and the order would probably be considered unusual. Someone might track it and ask questions, I finished for him. Okay, what about a block and tackle? Could we monkey up something like that? A block and tackle, he replied quietly, but incredulously. Like from those old-time sailing ships? Maybe we should all go a-whaling while we're at it. They were used everywhere, I countered, ignoring his tone. Read some classic lit. They only require muscle power. We could lift some mighty weight with a set of those. Order the parts separately to be fabricated, the pulleys or what have you, and call them something other than what they really are, and we're gold. You make it sound like it's an easy thing to get away with. I'm telling you, it might not be. And I'm telling you I'm sick of this, I nearly rasped, emotion flashing forth so quickly I shocked myself. I need to get out of this place. No, I don't trust those guys anymore, our friends up there, but guaranteed they'll be fine with cutting out once Star Jump is repaired. And Mavis? I'll lay odds she wakes up when we're ready to go. He looked quite uncomfortable with the whole idea, but didn't offer anything better. He checked the time on his ring and then finished off the scobble. I helped. I have to get back to work, he pronounced at last, rising to his feet. I'll do some classical reading when I get home. He walked away without another word. After a minute or so, Lily from the team came in. We exchanged pleasantries, and soon the others followed. They were punctual. So, Barney asked, laying a hand on my shoulder when he finally arrived, and in between more of Tip's funny work stories. Coming with? I wanted to. Very much so, in fact, and I couldn't even name the reason. No, I don't think so. It's not really my game. They all expressed regret over that. So did I. Eventually, they left for their practice. I ordered barley wine again, and Layden brought it by without comment. Quiet night, I offered. Always is in space, she returned, and walked away. I sat looking at the floor, 
thinking about a hidden bundle of star jump propagators. I thought about sailing ships and whales. I'd never seen a whale in real life. They'd introduced them to several terraformed worlds, even cloned back a few extinct species, which was cool. I'd never seen a sailing ship either. There were still some of those on Terra, hundreds of years old, well-maintained, seaworthy, spectacular, at least in the vids, living history. I pounded my beer and got up to leave, but caught Layden by the elbow as she went by. You're off at 2200? Yeah. I'll pick you up? She blinked a bit in surprise, or confusion, or a billion, billion other reasons I didn't know. I didn't know anything. It was all foreign. This place, this moment. Alien, like the treasures of nature and history. And bizarre, like people. Okay. I gave up a smile with a stronger perimeter than hers, then left the barmaid to her work. A shower and change seemed like a good idea, but I didn't get halfway home when I saw Christmas Giordano walking out of a small market on Centerline Avenue. He saw me as well and stopped. He had a big bag of groceries, mostly snacks it looked like, and a couple bottles of liquor. He needed a shave. He kind of shrugged with the bag, as if its presence in his hand was its own explanation. Then he just moved on, and I watched him turn a corner down the way. Since weather wasn't an issue and the market was always open, the place had no doors on it, just some glass panels that were cluttered with animated signs and promotions. Standing there, I could see inside, between some posters. Brandon Erzga was picking through produce, looking at apples critically, assessingly, occasionally adding one to his bag. He wore shirt sleeves and stretch pants, like he had when we'd met for that coffee and chat. His back was mostly to the entrance of the store, and he didn't notice me at all. By a long, refrigerated case, over on the other side, Gaza Mator was browsing slowly, distractedly. She still wore her business suit from earlier in the day. It was now rumpled, and she looked very tired. She, too, didn't see me. Couldn't see me. Reflected in the market's glass panels was a man that I recognized from the bar walking up the street. He was kind of stout. I turned around and stared, but he just walked on, eyes averted, faking it. Or perhaps he didn't notice me either. Perhaps he wasn't even looking, wasn't the same guy. I stood there a minute longer thinking about him, and about me, and about them, and... And then I went home.
You have been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk Analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.